Rich, I guess the question is, is this a perfect bit of vegan PR or, or does it raise meow questions than it answers? <laughs> First of all, those puns were awful. <laughs> but there's not people eating umbilical cords, is there? You've not seen Instagram lately, have you? Before you met your life partner, do you think do, do you think you would have dated a vegan, or would you have been a bit put off, a bit scared? Listen, let me say it's difficult to go back and think what <laughs> would have I done. It's Monday, the eighteenth of September, twenty twenty-three. I'm Anthony. He's Richard. But enough of the falafel. It's time for episode one of Vegan Week. Thank you for tuning in for this, our first ever published episode of the Vegan Week podcast by Enough of the Falafel. As you heard in the opening, I am not alone for today's episode. I am joined by my good friend and part-time fermenter of soybeans, Richard. Thanks, Anthony. I'm so excited. It's finally happening. The Enough of the Falafel Collective is live and our little podcast is out there in the big wide world. In the big wide world. Let's hope it does okay, eh? Um, and however many human and indeed non-human ears hear us, we are very grateful that each one of you lovely listeners is here for the ride. And we really hope that between us, we can provide something of value to our community. If you'd like to hear more about why we've created this podcast, including why your podcast player at the minute has probably got the name Enough of the Falafel uh, listed as the artist, don't worry, we're going to explain that, but you're going to need to hold on until the second half of the show. That's where we'll be exploring a few more of our whys and, and hows about the podcast. Yes, but this is Vegan Week Podcast. As the name of the show suggests, we are first and foremost a news-based show. For the first half of each Vegan Week show, I will ask Anthony to give me a rundown of his top 10 vegan news stories of the week. By vegan news, we mean stories that relate to veganism, the animal rights movement, and most importantly, things that affect outcomes for animals. Ten stories, Rich. That, that's a lot. I mean, how long is that going to take? I'm a busy vegan, you know, like like all of us. I'm, I'm popping on my balaclava later and I've, I've got to break into an animal testing lab. <laughs> Don't worry, Anthony. You'll still have time for that. We'll just aim for a short summary and... A brief commentary on each article. Hopefully we'll cover all 10 stories in around 30 to 40 minutes or so. Um, that way everyone can hear their weekly vegan news roundup before they receive another TikTok advert for huge bundles of toilet roll. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? You've called that absolutely right. Uh, that's all I'm seeing at the moment on, on TikTok. May maybe they know I'm on a, a high fibre vegan diet. Anyway, that's enough of the falafel. It is time for this week's news. Okay, Rich, I've sent the 10 news stories to you. Um, they all relate to veganism, animal rights uh, or outcomes for animals. The question is, uh, which one do you want to start this week's news section with? Well, there's only one contender for me. This story has been everywhere. From the University of Winchester... Vegan diet healthier for cats than meat, according to a new survey. 
Yeah, this one has popped up in most major newspapers in the UK. It's been reported internationally too. It really is everywhere. If you go looking for vegan news this week, you'll have seen this story. So this was published this week, um, authored by someone called uh, Andrew Knight. He's a professor. Uh, he's a visiting lecturer at the University of Winchester. And his study has suggested that cats might be better off eating a vegan diet. Shock horror. Um, it was quite a comprehensive study. It surveyed more than uh, 1,300 or 1,300 cats over the course of a year. Um, it compared the health of those on a traditional meat diet to those eating a vegan alternative. Um, and the, the vegan cats made up about 9% of the sample size. Um, and the study concluded, like you say, Rich, that cats fed nutritionally sound vegan diets are healthier overall than those fed meat-based diets. Sorry, Anthony, can I ask, how did they judge that the cats were healthier? What did they base this on? Yeah, yeah, great question. So um, after making allowances for the cat's age, sex and neutering status, um, they the, the way they judged this um, was... Um, on the following things. So they said that on average, vegan cats were 7% less likely to visit a vet uh, with an unusually high frequency. Um, so anything out of the ordinary. 15% uh, less likely to be on meds, medication, um, and 55% less likely to be on a special therapeutic diet. Um, they also, it says here, they also examined the prevalence of 22 common cat health disorders. Um, and they found that 42% of cats fed meat suffered from at, one, at least one disorder compared to 37% of the, of the vegan cats, the, the ones on, on vegan diets. So, uh, Rich, I guess the question is, is this a perfect bit of vegan PR or, or does it raise meow questions than it answers? <laughs> First of all, those puns, puns were awful. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, it will get better. They took me ages to come up with it. It's quite hard coming up with a cat pun, I thought. Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, okay, with with this story, um, one of the things I would like to say is I think probably the meat-based foods that we can find um, are not fit for human consumption, okay? I've never seen cat food, or generally it's very difficult to find cat food that's... Um, fit for human consumption so well if you if you said to somebody like who normally eats meat oh do you want to try this cat food they they, they wouldn't want to would they but like that's the that's the basic test isn't it exactly exactly so i'd like to see more details about this study i must admit i've not read it all uh, the yeah. study but that's why you're informing me and um also compare what type of diets i mean traditionally they've been understood to be carnivores and that's through what they do but um as the study says a good vegan diet is even healthier for them so i'll go with that I, so i did I, yeah i'm with i'm with you there i did do a little bit more digging and there's like a couple of things i wanted to bring up i mean first of all that the, the the way that they're judging that the cats were healthier because it was based on self-reporting I think there could be a bias there. So if you're someone who is vegan and you've, you've made your cat vegan, are you therefore less likely to take them to the vets anyway? Are you less likely to give them traditional medication? Are you less likely to give them on a special therapeutic diet just because you're a bit suspicious about these things maybe? So I thought that might influence things. And I did a bit of reading up on Professor Knight and he has, to his credit, he has done a lot of research. He's done a lot of work on animal rights in the past 
Um, so I, I think he will have been very pleased with the outcome of this study. But then that opens us up to, you know, how how neutral is he? How impartial is he? But I, the one thing I thought you couldn't argue is the fact that slightly more of the meat-eating cats had these common cat disorders compared to the vegan ones. So in, in a sense, like it's hard to argue that bit. And I'd like to say also, just the fact that we're talking about can a cat live on a vegan diet means it's possible. Oh, you it's know, massive, isn't it? Massive. Can't even, you know, imagine many years ago, 10 years ago, you wouldn't imagine feeding your cat on a vegan diet. So that's a massive, massive, massive step forward. Yeah. And I, I mean, in 2020, the British Veterinary Association said cats are obligate carnivores. They should not be fed a vegetarian or vegan diet. But but this is challenging that. And and indeed, Professor Knight has said that that's, that's outdated. Um, so I guess we'll see, won't we? Like, um, maybe there'll be more s- stories on this. Maybe more people will be inclined to feed uh, their cats plant-based foods and that itself will give more data and more insight, won't it? Certainly a story to get us thinking at the start of the show. Rich, let's let's move on. What should we look at for our second story? Well, this one has been reported widely, including including on Piers Morgan's Uncensored show. The headline is, Ad for Vegan Charity Viva, Banned Over Killer Yogurt, Awful and Blood Images. Yeah, awful. I'm sorry. I'm I'm giving you uh, I'm giving you difficult words to pronounce in your second language. Uh, awful and blood images. Yeah. No, so this testing video me, testing me. <laughs> you passed. You did well. So this video has been around for a few months. Actually, it was predominantly uh, aired in May. Actually, it's been seen by around three million people, uh, mostly via online ads. It seems. However, it was reported just over a week ago that the Advertising Standards Authority has now banned it being aired. It cannot be aired as an advert. It is still available on YouTube, however, and so Richard and I have both seen the ad. Um, And if you just pop into YouTube, if you want to see it, um, Viva Killer Yogurt, for example, um, you'll get the ad. Um, I'll just describe it to you. So it's it's basically a mock-up of a traditional uh, yogurt advert. So you've got a um, a lady eating it at, at the kitchen table with her hair, you know, flowing from side to side and looking all excited eating this yogurt. But then the voiceover is sort of talking about the reality um, of what's produced the yogurt. So it says, new from Killer Yogurts, the umbilical cord flavour produced with only the finest ingredients, the stolen milk of grieving mothers. Taste the torment in every mouthful, blended with brutality. Be complicit with Killer Yogurts. Um, and the woman's smiling. She's she takes a spoonful of it. There's blood and offal coming out of her mouth when she's eating it, dripping down her chin. Um, and the final scene cuts away from from her eating this yogurt um, and cuts to an indoor dairy farm um, with with a shed filled with cows. Um, and the text says, "Excited to tuck in. Intensive dairy farming is on the rise in the UK." Um, Rich, we've both seen this video. F- firstly, what what were your thoughts on it? I mean, I think the video is a very good reflection. You know, it's a very good, um, it it makes for a good comparison with the other ad. I think also what, what this is really telling us is that why is it okay to advertise something saying it's a good thing without uh, showing the reality of things? I mean, as people, do we want to be informed about the truth or do we want to be kept, do we want it to be kept away from us? Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Does a good job about that. It it does, and and that was my first reaction too. I, I was thinking like, oh, well done, Vivi. You're, you're showing it like it is. 
I mean, they do cross a line, argue, or they, they push things a little bit in that she's eating like intestine and in umbilical cord. And like that, that's though those things are associated with dairy, we're not eating those things, are we? Like they're pushing it a little bit, aren't they? Um, I don't think so. If I'm honest, I don't think so. I would say that's what happens. That's what um, at the end of the day happens in a slaughterhouse and with the dairy industry. So why keep that? You, we don't know sometimes what's in 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 the products we eat. So, I, so I I get that taking cows away from their mothers happens in the dairy industry. I get that there's blood and guts and there's death and there's slaughter, but there's not people eating umbilical cords, is there? You've not seen Instagram lately, have you? <laughs> There's no, that doesn't happen. That doesn't I happen. I can guarantee you go to TikTok and all these places and there's a group of people eating raw meat and uh, different parts of animals saying how healthy is that? Well, wh- um, whatever TikTok is showing you, Richard, that's that's your business. I've, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm not going to contest the fact that this is is showing some truths. It's telling some facts. Um, the fact that it's got banned is is great because more people more people will hear about it. More than three people will three million people will have heard about this ad now. Um, now that it's got banned, um, the, the advertising watchdog said that the graphic and gory imagery was likely to be seen as frightening and distressing to children in particular. Interestingly, they only received seven complaints. Seven complaints was enough to get it taken down. Now, I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be seven of us that can complain about the next dairy advert that comes out or the next beef advert. Like, if that's all it takes, could could we not get could we not get some animal ag- ads taken down? I don't know. What do you think, Rich? What I think is um, we should start complaining when we see ads about happy cows because there's mm. no research saying those cows are happy. So yeah. probably that's that could be targeted. I yeah, I mean, I'm sure that ASA would would say that those ads aren't distressing to children. Well human children although anyway we're, we're starting to sound very angry anyway. vegans now um I, one thing i would like to say before we move on uh juliet galatley the um director of viva in the uk um went on to the pierce morgan uncensored show to discuss this um and i i think she did a really good job if you want to bash it into youtube um it is available on viva's youtube uh, site so you won't be giving clicks to pierce morgan if you particularly don't want to do that you can watch it through viva's youtube channel um i think she did a really good job um so give that a look if you want to should we should we move on rich before we start talking about pierce morgan too much yes yes just let me say that she was brilliant but yeah let's move on let's move on i think to continue to highlight what viva are trying to report this one from farming uk caught my eye 1000 kilograms of milk solids per cow per year a realistic target for farmers yeah so th- this one might need a bit of um of your imagination or sort of visualization to to, to better understand it i'll do my best to uh, get the matter across to you so basically a consulting company funded by the uk dairy industry has said that some farmers in the uk should be aiming to get a thousand kilograms of milk solids from each cow each year so if we if you divide that per days in the year um that's a mean average of 2.73 kilograms of milk solids per day per cow but remember that that's milk solids so um basically milk powder that is left when you dry the liquid milk out 
is what the dairy industry calls milk solids. So that liquid milk is only 15% solid. So actually, you're looking at a much larger amount of milk, liquid milk that a cow's producing. So that would be looking at an average per day of 18 kilograms of liquid milk per day per cow. Um, they do say that wouldn't be possible for every farm, but they're saying that that is the target that people should be aiming for, especially apparently because that would slightly improve the carbon footprint of dairy. Um, I mean, Rich, what what are your initial thoughts? It, that I mean, it does show a snapshot of where the dairy industry is and, and the sort of rhetoric it's using at the moment, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, there's no end on how much they push to exploit living beings, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think I think it's 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 a sad news for me because that means we are trying to push cows to the very limit. I think that's not something you know we should be aiming to. I think it's not realistic. I think what we should be doing is try to improve our our uh, methods to be able to get soy milk, other forms of milk that are less damaging for the planet instead of trying to milk the cows even more. Yeah, I, I think it's it goes against what a lot of people who consume dairy would hope and, and currently think is happening. I don't think they would like to think of a cow being pushed to its limit and 18 kilograms of milk per day on average. Bear in mind as well that a cow, every time it gives birth and starts to then lactate, it needs to have a dry period beforehand. So that before a cow gives birth, it needs between 45 and 90 days of what's called a dry period beforehand. So that average of 18 kilograms per day across a year, that's actually going to be much, much higher on the days it's producing milk, because it, that average over a year takes into account that, that dry period too. So we're really, really pushing them to, to an inhumane level it's it's harrowing and i think that the more that we can share this data and these sort of statistics um with people who do consume dairy in a you know in an understanding way and not necessarily shouting at people um i i think that's got to be the best way to do it isn't it is, is there anything else you wanted to say on this one rich or should we, should we move on no i think we should move on really cool. yeah well Let's hear something a bit more positive, right? From inyourarea.co.uk, academics urge universities to go green by going vegan. Yeah, so you might have heard stories about um, universities going vegan, having plant-based menus um, over the last year or so. It's, it's, it's a growing trend. Um, but this story is, is reporting a group of over 900 academics, industry professionals, um, and just high-profile figures. Um, they've all signed an open letter calling for UK universities to adopt an 100% plant-based catering offering. Um, like I say, this growing trend is, is happening at the moment, um, and universities seem to be one of the places that are really pushing for plant-based eating to be the norm um, generally driven, I think it's fair to say, Rich, for, like for environmental reasons, that's generally the background uh, why they're doing it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So this letter, um, it was sent to university vice chancellors, catering managers and student union presidents on September the 4th. So just over a week ago. And it argues that universities have a responsibility to address the climate and ecological crises by moving away from animal farming and fishing and transitioning to more sustainable food production systems. Um, this open letter, it, it cites scientific research. It's supported by a wide range of academics. And like I say, public figures 
have got involved too. So there's uh, George Monbio. I don't know how to say his name. Monbio? Monbio? Anyway. Monbio. Uh, Monbio. Uh, Chris Packham and the MP Caroline Lucas. I mean, Rich, what's, what's your response? Like 900 people, that is a lot of people publicly getting behind this campaign, isn't it? Absolutely. I think this is great news. And I think, in a way, there's no going back. I can see universities adopting a 100% plant-based um, cafes, caterings and all this. I think it's the right move forward. I do not see why they wouldn't. Probably they'll have some, you know... Um, some lobbying from certain industries, some pressures from certain industries that don't want to allow that. Because, you know, when when you're young is when you get your habits. So that also creates the habits you'll have when you're older in life. So I'm sure there will be some some industries there willing to to change that. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, we've we've seen in New York, they've just celebrated their first year um, of either all the hospitals or pretty much all the hospitals in New York making plant-based food the kind of default that is offered to the inpatients. And that's that's resulted in like a million plant-based meals being served over the last year in hospitals. I mean, that sort of wholesale change, it can happen. Like we're seeing it in, in, in Western countries. So, I mean, fingers crossed it could could happen in this country someone has to start universities are a great place to do it and you know it's keep keep moving in the right direction absolutely well you're you're starting at university next month aren't you richard so you can get behind it too i'm sure i know i know i'll do my bit don't worry about that <laughs> not not so many catering options at the open university though are they it's uh <laughs> Not really, but surely there's something we can do. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. You can still lobby. Right, let's move on. Thanks for that positive story, Rich. What story is going to take us to halfway? Well, our last story showed one way of people trying to influence people's behaviour. Let's look at a very different tactic now. From the Daily Mail, vegans target gourmet farm shop with fake negative reviews in bid to ruin five-star rating. Yeah, so this is the story about the gourmet goat farmer uh, in Wiltshire, UK. Um, it's, I guess, it's like a farm shop, that sort of thing, um, that has been targeted by some vegans with alleged fake reviews, uh, which has resulted in its five-star rating uh, falling. Um, and that seems to have been uh, a direct result of a member of the private Facebook group Vegan Wiltshire urging people to leave negative reviews on the company's page. Um, And the comment that they left stated, there's no way an animal farm should be able to enjoy a five-star rating. And that seems to have then uh, cued this deluge of negative reviews. Um, Rich, there's a few more details to this story that I I do want to go into. But before we go any further, I'd be interested in your take on this, because I think you and I are both of the same opinion that we don't like to criticise people's vegan activism, um, even if it's not how we'd go about things. Um, generally, we tend yeah. not to, to criticise it, but but I don't know. I, I I've got quite mixed feelings about this. I don't know if this crosses a line. What 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 do you think? Mm, I'm quite clear here, despite the fact that I do not like animal agriculture, despite the fact that I I support uh, vegan activism. I do think that you should not review a company or service you're not being provided with. So only customers of one. Uh, company should be reviewing that company because if not what's the what's the point of reviews i mean people use reviews to be able to understand the company i I, so i get you could could you argue that if somebody is offering a service 
that is so abhorrent or you 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 really d- would never want to use that service are you not entitled to say i would never use this service because like I, i'm not saying people should be abusive of course they shouldn't but is it not realistic to say i'm not going to go to this place because um i'm a wheelchair user and there's no wheelchair ramp i can't get into the building they're not using that service but is is that not a valid review that's kind of the line is it you you kind of put the line there where you want to use a service and you yeah. are not able to for certain reasons so it's would it be the same is if someone that's omnivore would go to a vegan cafe and say, I'm writing a bad review because I do not have the options I want? Um, I reckon. I mean, we wouldn't like it, but I, I, in a sense, I think that's a fair enough thing to write. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just kind of think like, I, again, to be clear, being abusive, absolutely out of order. Like, don't, I'm definitely Agreed. not advocating for that. But if you could say, do you know what? I really want to support my local farm shop. I really want to support local farmers. However, I'm not going into this place because when I walk in, I'm faced with dead animal carcasses. I, I, I want to eat the local fruits and vegetables that are being grown, but I'm, I'm yeah. not using this service because of that. I think that's fair enough. Okay, but th- then that's a business problem. What happens here is there's not a company or there's not someone that's offering what the customer wants. So then there's a business opportunity. But, yeah, you know, yeah. um, anyway, the, the best um, activism I think we can all do with our choices is not to buy what um, we don't want. And at the end, things will change that way. Yeah, I mean, it it does seem uh, in the story, some of the quotes from the negative reviews are, are said. And, and I think for me, they cross a line. They, they Some of them become quite abusive. Um, and that's certainly nothing I'd advocate. Um, interestingly, there's another part of the story I want to focus on. The business owner following these reviews posted the following. Either gourmet goat farmer would only be more than happy to spend a couple of hours with any vegan from Wiltshire or elsewhere Um, And then they give a time and a date and they say, basically, come along. um, And that would give people the chance to have a tour of the farm and share and answer any questions they have. Um, They go and say, I worry greatly for vegans and their long term health. And I'd like to do anything I can to broaden their knowledge of farming. However, no one turned up at the time and date to to go on these tours. Um, Like, would you have gone, Rich? Like, if you were aware of that and and saw that ad, would, would you have gone? I might have gone because talking to someone is the only way you can understand that person and it's the only way you can change someone. So why not? If you have the opportunity to talk and understand their point of view, understand where they're coming from. Listen, this is not about confrontation. This is about all uh, understanding each other and see if we can find a better way forward. So I would have gone. Yeah, yeah. I I really like to think I would have done too. Obviously, it's easy to say this. Oh, I would have gone if I'd have known. But like, I I really think it's a it's a missed opportunity that no one went. It's kind of like an argument uh, uh, against veganism. Really, it's like, oh, actually, you had nothing to to say. Really, did you? You you were just shouting. You have no nothing to uh, back up your argument with. Um, So that that seems a bit of a shame. One last thing I want to say about the story, and then we will move on. I do think that there's obviously. There's lots of negative points against veganism in this story, but I think one thing the story uh, mentions that I think was a bit unfair um, was they um, have said that the negative reviews had caused stress 
caused stress with the business owner's son who was going to bed worrying that the vegan activists were going to turn up at the door. As far as I can tell, there was nothing implied by anything that that vegan activists were going to knock the door down and turn up with flaming torches. Um, and I just felt like that was a bit disingenuous of the of the author of the article suggesting that um, they're causing uh, this child to have nightmares or what have you. There, there are vegan children who will have nightmares about what happens in animal agriculture. It just felt like a, a bit of an unnecessary shot and a bit unjustified. But um, anyway, it, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to say, Rich, before we, we move on to the next story? Just just to say that non-violent is what we want. So, um, yeah, violent excluded any side. Let's move on, shall we, Rich? Because we're halfway through now and we need to get these next five stories covered. Yeah, let's move on, on to someone else who couldn't get to sleep at night from a publication called The Conversation. I almost gave up being vegan after I realised it was near impossible to find a date. Yeah, God, all, th- all these things about veganism that keeps people up at night. If we're not if we're not terrorizing children at bedtimes, we're we're scrolling Tinder, desperate for for a date. So this is a story. It's been picked up by a lot of news agencies. I questioned whether it was news or not to start with, but actually, as articles go, it was a really good read, and I'd encourage listeners to to read it. Actually, so um, I've included it here. It's basically a study conducted on one person and then written up by that person. Um, he's called Eric Robinson. Uh, he's a university academic, um, and he's written the piece too. Um, he basically tried to carry out a study on himself when he was transitioning to veganism a couple of years ago. He was interested in how it would affect his physical health um, and his mental health, but he also incidentally found out that perhaps the biggest impact um, of, of becoming vegan was from a social point of view, namely that he reckons it reduced his success on dating sites. Um, obviously, there's this clickbait headline that, that suggests that veganism, uh, that being vegan, is, being vegan was putting people off dating him. It sounded to me, when I first looked at this, I was like, was that what was putting people off? Were you just a bit of a nasty person? But like that, he does seem to have conducted this a, a bit scientifically in that he was talking to people on dating sites. Things seem to be going well. And then when he mentioned he was vegan, uh, a lot of people unmatched him. That's kind of like, if, if listeners aren't aware, that's the term when people say, oh, no, I'm no longer interested in this person. So he thinks that a lot of the time, as soon as veganism was mentioned, people would unmatch him. Um, I don't know if you mind me asking you this question, Rich. Before you met your life partner, you, you weren't vegan. Um, do you think before being vegan and before being with a vegan, do, do you think you would have dated a vegan? a vegan or would you have been a bit put off a bit scared listen let me say it's difficult to go back and think what (laughs) would i done i guess i would i've always been very open-minded uh maybe i would and i think the outcome for me would have been depending on how pushy that person would have been on me like if if i date someone i had dated someone day one they're trying to impose things on me. Maybe I would have got scared, um, which actually makes that could be a, a theme, you know, for for talking about. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I I I don't think I would, um, but not because of being preached to. I think I would have known that I was wrong, that I would have been outsmarted because the, the only vegans that I met before uh, being vegan myself were very well informed on the subject, and whenever I spoke to them about it. Um, and I, I said something that was a misconception or, 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 you know, a myth. 
they'd put me right and I'd think, oh God, I've made a fool of myself again. I, I don't think I could stand having a whole relationship of being proven that I'm wrong. Maybe that's my ego. What makes me think is two things I would like to say. First of all, how do you, on earth do you know that someone's vegan before the first date? That's one thing. Second mm. thing is I was under the impression that there were a lot more um, female vegans than male vegans. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to point that out. But hey, maybe things have changed a lot, you know. Are you saying that he's looking in the wrong places? Well, I, I don't know. I'm no one to say where he should look or not <laughs> look. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go in there. No, yeah, no. I mean, definitely there's more more vegans are female, but nonetheless, throughout the population, far more females, he, he was looking for a female partner, um, far more females are not vegan. So it's it's understandable, of course, that he's, he's, he's mostly yeah. coming up with people who are, are going, oh, vegan, no way. Interestingly, the writer, um, he gave many sort of hypotheses as to why this might be, but he, he feels it was people's guilt um, that that why they didn't want to be talking to him. I don't know whether that's him projecting or whether he's got any basis for that. But but I mean, just to finish off, I, I really came away from this article thinking we need more research on this stuff because actually what we're talking about here is a barrier between people who identify as vegan and people who aren't vegan yet. And we don't want those barriers. We don't want those gaps. So the more we can understand what is creating them, the more we can start to overcome them and and you know get closer together. We're all humans, after all. Um, okay, I would even say, is it easier for a vegan to date a non-vegan or for a Republican to date a Democrat? <laughs> Let's not get into that, Richard. Shall, okay. I, think that's our, I think that's our cue to move on. What's our next story going to be? Well, I'm intrigued by this one. From Farming UK, DEFRA unveils £4 million small abattoir fund to help struggling sector. What's this all about? Yeah, yeah, baffling, this one, baffling. So this is the age-old story of animal agriculture being not financially viable and the government bailing it out. That's basically the summary of this story. Um, So this week, the government has confirmed that a small abattoir fund worth £4 million, uh, it will be open by the end of this year to help what is a struggling sector. So during the period 2019 to 2021, the sector saw the closure of 14 small family-run abattoirs. um, And the most recent estimates show that only 49 remain in England, Wales and Scotland, which would mean that if these closures continue at the current rate, there'd actually be no small abattoirs left open by 2030. So, I mean, my assumption is that it's financial reasons that that these businesses are closing. But then what does the government do? It, it just bails it out. It throws money at the problem. Is Am I being unfair there, Rich? Like, what's going on here? I have a, a, a very particular perspective on this. I don't believe in bailing um, business out, even if mm. they're vegan even if they're yeah, vegan. Yeah. I think the problem here is we shouldn't save jobs. We need to help workers. And that's a very different point of view. We need to help those people which demand for what they're doing has gone down, help them move forward. And that's about helping people and helping workers, not about saving jobs that probably are in decline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, surely there's... The- <laughs> There's opportunities out there. If one sector's declining, another one's going to be growing, isn't it? But, yeah. um, th- th- I mean, the most baffling bit of this story for me, um, is that the-, the government commented on this, saying that this fund is going to improve productivity. Yeah, fine, whatever. 
They also said it was going to improve animal wealth. Sorry, it was going to enhance animal health and welfare. Now, I don't know if anyone at the government knows what happens in an abattoir at a slaughterhouse, but it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it. All the animals are coming out of their dead. So I, I don't know why they're saying, oh, this is going to help animal health and welfare. The best thing that's going to help animal health and welfare is to let the abattoir close and it stop killing animals. Surely, is like what? What is this? Like, what? What do they even mean? Enhance animal welfare at a slaughterhouse. But this is interesting, is it? Because most people think that small farms and family-run operations are the best one in terms of animal welfare. However, this suggests that these small slaughterhouses are in fact worse. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good shout. Actually, like. The, the implication there is that the, the big slaughterhouses that don't need this grant, they're doing fine for animal welfare. It's the small ones that are falling short on animal welfare, um, which, again, it, it goes against what, what I think people people think. But another, another example of how uphill our struggle can be at, at, at times. Um, let, I mean, let's move on, shall we, Rich, unless there's anything else yes. you wanted to say on this one? Yeah? Cool. No, I okay. think we should move on. Well, let's focus on some evidence that the vegan market is continuing to grow. From PR Newswire, the vegan egg market to grow by $910 million from 2022 to 2027. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, I've not got many details on this this story because there aren't really many, but I'd, I'd be interested in, in your opinion, Rich. So obviously it sounds like a great news story the vegan egg market growing by nearly a billion dollars in five years from 2022 to 2027 um i looked into what they mean by the vegan egg market because obviously what constitutes vegan egg it depends how you're looking at it it refers to the types of alternatives that are kind of sold by themselves so you can buy egg replacer powder you can buy there's the og stuff i don't know if you've bought that rich like the ogs like it's like vegan no. liquid egg, basically. Um, and it refers to um, vegan eggs that are kind of like egg shaped, so like vegan scotch eggs or vegan um, boiled eggs or whatever. Um, so they're projecting over five years a $1 billion growth, which is all oh, sounds lovely, um, but it's a projection. Like, Rich, do, do you think we should be paying attention to stories like this or is it just people gazing into a crystal ball and, and guessing? Well, I think it's worth mentioning um, yeah. because, you know, we, we need to explain all these things in our podcast. It's news at the end of the day. I do not pay many attention at projections because, you know, there's also the the fake meat. I don't like calling it fake meat, but let's say the alternative protein, uh, Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods and all this. Um they now they're saying they're struggling, and three years ago they they said they were going to dominate the market. So I, I'm always very wary when it comes to projections. Let's take it one week at a time, one month at a time. See if people buys it, and you know we'll take it from there. You sound like a football manager, Rich. Yeah, well, tune back in in three and a bit years' time to see if this report was correct. Let's go match Let's by on. match. <laughs> Match by match, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Richard, Absolutely. what is our penultimate story going to be? So this looks like quite a dull title. I'm assuming there's something interesting behind it. Uh, from the Nature Communications Journal, feeding climate and biodiversity goals with novel plant-based meat and milk alternatives. Yeah, I promise you there is something interesting uh, behind this very dull title. Can't um, wait to hear it. <laughs> yeah, it is. This will catch your attention. This is the most compelling argument for flexitarianism 
I've read for some time and I never thought I'd hear myself say that. Obviously, I want the whole world to be vegan, but it was a very compelling argument for doing what you can. So this academic article estimates that if, if worldwide we substituted just half of the pork, chicken, beef and milk that we consume across the world, if we swap those for vegan alternatives, the environmental benefits would be huge. So remember, it's just half of the consumption of those things that this is advocating for. It's not saying, you know, they need to be completely stopped. So it's saying the impact would be as follows. So the current loss of forest and natural land to animal agriculture would stop. So currently, forest space and natural land is being lost to animal agriculture. It's saying if we just halved consumption of those products, that loss would stop altogether. It also said that global greenhouse gas emissions would decline by a third. And that's just by eating half of, of the beef, pork, chicken and milk. Um, it goes on to say that if the resultant extra land that that freed up was turned back into forest ecosystems, those benefits that I've just mentioned, they would double. Um, so huge, huge impacts demonstrated there. Um, Rich, what's your feeling though on, on advocating people to halve their animal consumption like it on the one hand it's it's literally meeting people halfway but you could view that that you're you're selling out as an ethical vegan you're, you're saying it's okay to consume animal products what what's your take uh yeah i i know what you mean my take on this is i'm quite a abolitionist when it comes to that i do it i i'm vegan because of the animals and I do it because I do not literally want to harm any animal whatsoever. So I would find it very difficult to say that. Just half your consumption, despite the fact that that would obviously be very beneficial for you know the planet and all this. But uh, I, I, as I do it for ethical reasons, it would be difficult for me. But could you argue that if you know you're not going to get through to somebody to completely be vegan tomorrow... You could say to them, look, even if you just halved what you're eating, look at the impact. Like, that's quite compelling, isn't it? It is quite compelling. But that brings the question, what makes people change? Is it ethics? Is it the environment? Or is it health? I don't know, Rich. We've got to bloody try something, haven't we? I'm going to try it. <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you with that. <laughs> I'm going to th I'm going to throw these numbers at someone this week, and I'll come back next week and tell you all how I've got on. Anyway, I mean, the full report is available on Nine, and for an academic article, I will say it's quite an accessible read, so feel free to check it out. Richard, we are on to our last article. I can see you've left quite a hopeful story until last. Leave us with a bit of optimism. Uh, do you want to read the headline? From greenqueen.com. COP28 will be the first food-centric UN climate summit with alternative protein and sustainable diets on the agenda. Yeah, so for any listeners who are unaware, COP28 is the annual United Nations Climate Com climate Change Conference. Um, it's scheduled for the end of this year um, and it seems that um, from reports this week, there's going to be a real focus on the impact that food can have on climate change, which obviously... Um, in terms of outcomes for animals should be positive, given that there's a whole stack of evidence that um, reducing the consumption of animals has good outcomes for climate health. So this all started last month. The UN confirmed that plant-based food was going to be the main offering on its catering menu. So that's great. Um, and then this week, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of different commenters um, saying that there seems to be a lot more stuff being planned. So um, we're expecting... Um, policy shifts being being made 
um, changing the way that people eat eat their food, improving food security, reducing emissions, stuff like that. There's also going to be something called a food for climate pavilion, which sounds tasty. Um, and that that's all about highlighting the importance of prioritizing alternative protein over animal protein, um, as well as what they call overconsumption of meat in the global north. Um, I'll just share a stat before I get your take on this, Rich. Really stood out to me from from an article that was citing a study. Um, basically, even if we stopped all emissions from energy and industry, so forget food for a minute, we stop all other emissions, the rate of growth for food emissions alone would still make the average global temperature rise by at least one and a half degrees by the end of this century. So even if, like, everything else stopped, if we keep eating the way that we're eating, the temperature is going to rise by one and a half degrees. So huge signs that the food we eat is is by far the biggest factor at play in the climate emergency. Rich, the question is, like, can we, do you think we can be hopeful about this? Is this a sign politicians might be starting to take this seriously? Yes, I think I think we need to... We need to be happy about the little wins. We know the end goal. We we know we want to save the planet, the animals. We want a better world for everyone. And we might still be, you know, some years away from this, but we need to start celebrating the little things when the COP, you know, brings in all these new things. Let's be happy for it. We won't change the world in one day. So let's celebrate this little wi- these little wins. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, um, it's uh, the start of December, this conference. So... Uh... Well, I guess we'll report on it then and see this, you know, this is what they're promising. We'll see what they actually deliver on. Well, everyone, that's our selection of 10 new stories for the week. Thanks for putting those together, Anthony. I feel much more informed now. And after the last story, almost a little hopeful that politicians might be starting to discuss things that could have a positive impact on animals. Um, We can only hope. Fingers crossed, Richard. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, listeners, you've also found that rundown of the news interesting. Just a reminder, we'd love to hear your opinions on the articles we've covered this week, especially if you think there's a side to the stories that we have missed. Get in touch with us by email at enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com. That's right, Rich, and I'm always grateful to receive any news tips uh, any of you might have, especially if it's stuff that's happening locally to where you live. Don't just assume that because it's a small story, um, you know, a local vegan cafe opening or something like that, that we won't be interested. Like, we, we really want to hear these things. You may also be interested to know that as well as sending us news, um, as we approach next week's show, um, you'll be able to get sneak previews of some of the stories we're covering in, in next week's show. So you'll be able to comment them, you'll be able to get a sneak preview, see what we're talking about. Um, but you can only do that if you follow us at Enough of the Falafel on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Welcome back, everyone. Anthony and I have just had a quick stretch of our legs and refilled our glasses before the second half of the show. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Richard. Uh, You've treated me to a good chuckle during our off-air discussion. So, uh, yes, I'm feeling full of the joys of life and grateful for our friendship. How about you? You don't have to say the same thing back, by the way. You can talk about something else. (laughs) I'm always happy to contribute to that. You know that. I mean, whatever it takes. No, I'm I'm fine, actually. (laughs) 
<laughs> good, good, good. Is it dark outside where, where we're recording? It's getting to the time of year where it kind of the nights creep in. Yeah, it's dark. It um, looks like someone forgot to pay the bill and it's dark outside. Maybe it's increasing yeah. price of fuel cost. Uh, anyway, you, you can tell. You can tell that hosting the show this week are two middle-aged men talking about how it's getting darker and the nights are pulling in and the cost of electricity. Goodness me, I do apologise. Should we? I'm should more we get middle-aged this... than you? <laughs> you can be more middle-aged. Let's get the second half of the show rolling, shall we, Richard? Yes. So normally, what we will be doing in the second half of each podcast will be taking something and discussing it in more detail. Either one of the news stories from the week or just something else vegan-related that has been on our mind. We're hoping that this will be a, a nice change from the first half of the show where there's a bit more pressure to move on to the next story after a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that's how the second half of the show will shape up from next week onwards. However, this week's going to be a little bit different. We, we thought that for our first published episode, we should just give a bit of an outline of what, what from our point of view anyway, Enough of the Falafel um, and Vegan Week is all about. Absolutely. Do you want to start off by saying a little bit about what the purpose of the show is from your point of view? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so why Vegan Week? I guess like what what's the point of it? Um, I think the first thing to say is that um, if there were already podcasts out there uh, that were weekly, there were they were news focused, um, and they were they were focusing on veganism and animal rights, talking about it in an informed and balanced way. Um, we wouldn't be doing this podcast, would we? Like we're, we're doing it because, well, partly because. It's the kind of content that we'd really like to listen to. We think it's important uh, to put out there. And and if someone else was already doing it, we, we'd just be listening. You know, we wouldn't necessarily be putting our voices on it. We're not that uh, narcissistic. Um, I, I personally uh, listen to, to podcasts every day. Um, and a lot of them are news related. It might not be heavy news. It might be sports news or, or, or stuff like that. Um, and there's... There's so many podcasts out there about different areas, different hobbies, different things like that. But as far as I can tell, there is not um, a vegan news uh, podcast that comes out weekly. Um, and that seems like a, a real gap, a, a real thing that's missing. And that if it can be provided, which we hope to do, it can add real value um, to not just to vegans, but to, to, to animal rights and to all sorts of listeners, hopefully. Um I think over the years of being vegan, like vegan news, vegan media, it's it's been an emerging field and we've seen um, platforms like plant-based news and things like that. They've, they've really got momentum um, and it's there's more and more content out there. Rich and I never want to criticise anyone's um, animal advocacy or vegan activism, like anyone doing anything, so long as it's, it's not violent or hateful. Um, like is absolutely brilliant and everyone does it in their own way and that is how it should be personally i think a lot of stuff could be a bit more uh, informed um i think sometimes like we're, because we're passionate because we're getting upset about things we might um say things in in not the most balanced way not with all the information and that's fine it's better to say it's better to say something than than to just stay silent um but I think something that we really want to do with this podcast is make sure we're given as much information as we can 
Um, and to try and show some, some balance too, because if everything is just always one-sided, if everything is always really, um, what's the word, like dogmatic and, and, and just like absolute, vegans are always right. Nothing bad can be said about veganism. That kind of undermines it a bit too. So I think I think that's something that's really important. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to say as well is, I think it's really important to me anyway, that we're covering actual news. And because of the way that, social media algorithms work and search engine algorithms work very often we see stuff um in our feed on our phones on our computers um it's about veganism it's about stuff that's going on at the moment but i wouldn't say it's news like to me greg's releasing a new vegan product like fair enough the first time did it they did it that that is news but like that just because they've released one new vegan product this week i don't really think that's news um, fine if you want to share that that's great like I'm not going to discourage it but um, I think very often a trap that that we fall into as vegans is we'll share this stuff um, and I don't think we have to because actually Greg's marketing department and McDonald's marketing department it's got enough money behind it I don't think we need to be doing their dirty work for them great they're bringing plant-based stuff out but I don't think it's new so I, I think we can be a bit more selective we can dig a bit deeper to find stuff that is actually news um and sometimes that involves looking in some unusual places i mean two of the stories we featured this week were from farming uk i don't think that's necessarily somewhere that vegans would normally go for their news but there's a heck of a lot of stuff there that affects animals um so i think we, you know i'd like to think that we're committed to looking in those unusual places hopefully with the help of our listeners um to find news that is that is real that is um, interesting that affects animals and affects the vegan movement. Rich, I've had a good old waffle on there. Thank you for thank you for giving me my pedestal. Um, you're my partner in this project, so we need to hear from you too. Like, what is it you're hoping that this podcast can do? Gosh, I don't know. I was listening to you, and I was like, oh my god, he's saying everything I wanted to say in a way. Like, no, now that's a good answer. Aside. That's a good answer. You just say wh whatever he said. Yeah, whatever he said, he's liable. Go and talk to him. <laughs> um, even though this is our first uh, discussion, it's not a discussion. If not, I wouldn't agree with what you've said, but no. Um, for me, for me, what is important for this is to listen us to have a summary of what's happened the week before in a friendly way. I want people to feel engaged, to feel comfortable with what we say. That doesn't necessarily mean being comfortable with the content, because obviously when you talk about veganism, there's things that, you know, can affect you in in terms of it's we don't live in the world we want to live, but certainly we need to do something if we want to live there and we want to reach that place. So we'll cover all the topics from the nice ones, the ones that create hope, the ones that we're all waiting for. And we also we'll also cover the ones that uh, are not so nice, and that also comes for topics. And um, I mean, when we have discussions, there'll be discussions that we might feel more comfortable with. Sometimes there will be more touchy because we're more involved with it. And I'm sure you, as a, the listener, will also feel like some topics might be a bit more touching for you than others. But in any case, the aim of it is be able to talk about things to grow ourselves while we're talking about it. And, you know, it's just shading some light in in what we're talking, see if we can give any depth, if, if we can give some depth and 
for you to listen alongside us. Um, also to enjoy. I think it's something we need to enjoy. I think it's something that if for my side, and I'm sure I'm talking for you also, Anthony, if we enjoy what we do, if we enjoy about talking, uh, talking about these things, we also create a space where it's more enjoyable for our listeners to, you know, to have some joy because at the end of the day we need to have some joy about it and even though it, sometimes there might be some tough conversations there's always some place for hope and for joy does that mean we need to include all the times when you mispronounce things and uh re- read the uh, introduction script wrong yeah it takes anthony one hour to do the podcast it i've been doing it for two weeks just to get it right <laughs> yeah exactly you you've been trying your best though I've got to say, it's so great to be recording an episode that we know is going to be listened by people. Um, We've both recorded a few pilot episodes before publishing the shows, just uh, so we could test a few things out. The silly thing was, all the time we were recording, making it sound like we had uh, listeners, but really we were just talking to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's... um... It felt a little insane at times, and and actually, like on a serious note, that's that's really not the point of enough of the falafel. Like we we want this to be a collective. We don't want it just to be you and I talking to one another, um, recording on a Saturday night. Like we want other people to be recording with us. Like we hope that we hope that listeners um, feel, feel inspired to join us as as guests and and co-hosts and things like that. So we're hearing hearing a variety of voices. Um, and if that's not your jam, then just listening, uh, maybe sending some correspondence. Like it's really important that it's not just an echo chamber of, of two or three people just talking with with nothing coming back. Um, veganism needs to hear from as many voices as possible. Um, so, yeah, guest hosts. We're, we're really excited about that, actually, Rich, aren't we? Yes, we are. And the more voices we have, the better. I mean... One voice to represent the voiceless is good, but many voices are better and we'll all be one at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, um, listeners will have heard um, how the first half of each show is going to sound because we've we've done the first half of this show. Um, and, and indeed, that's going to be dictated by the week's news. But I was just wondering, Rich, if, if you could give a bit of an explanation now, like moving forward after this week, the second half of the show um, is going to be given over to discussing a topic in more depth. Um, and I know this is a part of the show you're, you're especially interested in. You've already had some thoughts as to what sort of things we might cover in that section. Yeah, I mean, one thing that will be possible for each show in the second half will be to discuss uh, any of our new stories uh, in a lot more detail. In the first half, we want stories to be kept to perhaps five minutes maximum, but sometimes news articles might be begging to be discussed for longer than that. There might be lots that can be discussed, but we simply have to move on quickly so sometimes we might use the second half of the show to discuss this discuss a story for a bit longer if uh, the need is there however we know that as vegans there are also issues worthy of discussion at any time regardless of whether it's in the news or not these might be things that affect our vegan week every week no matter what the news is here's some that I thought of. Um, is it okay to be a secret vegan? Uh, do we need to shout uh, about our label all the time? Should we be only buying things from 100% vegan companies? How can we better look after our mental health as vegans? 
Are we spending too much time on vegan social media or in vegan cafes or at vegan festivals? How can we be resilient and thrive, uh, thrive in a non-vegan world? How important is it to be a perfect vegan? Um, also, is it okay to encourage people towards, towards plant-based eating without mentioning the animals? Uh, should we buy every new vegan product we see? Uh, also, what, what skills helps us most as vegans? And I don't know, there's lots of things we can discuss, lots of topics that I'm sure each one of us are curious to know what other people think and, and to bring it all together. They're, they're just some of the thoughts and questions that might be circling in the minds of vegans day to day, and we'd love to have some time to discuss these things with you in the show. Yeah, I mean, goodness, there's there's so much to get into there already. Um, and, and hopefully, with the suggestions and, and the voices of, of the wider enough of the falafel community, hopefully, even more suggestions for, for interesting topics can emerge. Anthony, just looking at how long the episode is already, we'll need to wrap up things uh, in a moment. Before we do, I think you have to explain to our listeners why we went for Enough of the Falafel as a name of this concept. That's the name we're giving to us and as a group producing this show. And it's probably what is showing up on uh, on our listeners' screens as the artist name of this show at the moment. I mean, there's kind of several reasons why why we ended up with that um i mean the the phrase vegan week that sums up what the show's doing um you know it's like the vegan news week what's been happening in the last week in in the vegan movement but it is a bit dry um and it's useful for directing people to the podcast who've never heard of it but we kind of wanted something with a bit more character didn't we um I, as as i've said earlier i did think there's a bit of a gap in the market for for a podcast that um, just gets straight down to it and starts just giving you the news, giving you stuff that's happening um, right away. It's lovely when podcasters um, at the start like have a little chat, but you know, say what they've had for breakfast before they start going. But I, I, we kind of felt like if it's a news based podcast, we need to get straight down to it um, if that's what's brought people to it. So uh, like not waffling enough of the waffle um that was kind of like a, a starting point um and i i think we were just thinking of um stereotypical vegan foods uh hummus and and the uh, broccoli kale um and just swapping enough of the waffle for enough of the falafel seemed to work somehow now it might not of course if, if people look at this and go what the heck are they talking about then may maybe we'll need to change the name of our production group but um it's it seemed to work um and and falafel is i think particularly if you've been vegan quite a while um it used to be that falafel was like the stereotypical vegan food um, it was all you could get. It was always the vegan option. Like I remember when that was pretty much the only thing you could get from like a Tesco Metro. That was like the only vegan food you could get to go if you're in a hurry. And as lovely as falafel is, I mean, ge generally, Rich, are you a fan of falafel? Like, do you like to eat falafel? I do. I do like to eat falafel. Yeah, um, I really enjoy it. Uh, actually, I've quite, I've ate quite a lot of falafel now. Thinking back, quite recently, so. But. But you've—I bet you've had some really rubbish falafel too, haven't you? I know, but I got better making it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean stuff you'd made. I think if it's made—if it's made from scratch, it's good. But there's an awful lot of like rubbery stuff that's mass-produced, and I mean it's the same for any food, isn't it? But I think my first like five, ten years of veganism, like 
dry, rubbery, horrible falafel that's been nowhere near the Middle East um, was something I got a bit fed up of. So having a podcast called Enough of the Falafel seemed to seemed to make uh, sense in, in several senses, but I'm definitely not anti-falafel in general. And uh, anyone that wants to have some good stuff, just go to a good Middle Eastern uh, restaurant and you'll get you'll get some nice falafel for sure. Yes, and let me add that also the name, because some of the falafels out there are really rich and have a big depth in ten- in terms of taste, that tailors with our second part of the show, where we go, you know, really in depth analysing the falafels that are going on. Um, right. So are we saying then the show, uh, sorry, the production group should be enough of the falafel to start with, but actually... Now we think about it. Now we get into the second half of the show. Maybe a little bit of like authentic, proper, rich falafel. Maybe we could. We've got enough room for some. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that will be that will be our discussions, which should go more in depth. Should give us all a better and clear understanding of what's going on. Different points of view, because let's face it. I mean, to understand reality, we need to understand different points of view and all the roads that get there. So it's like a falafel. I think we are reverse engineering this to to its limit. Um, yeah, I I, th- I think this is a good place to be leaving things off uh, for now. Um, but listeners, we we'd really love to hear from you. Thank you for for listening to today's show. Uh, t- I mean, to be honest, at this stage of the game, it would just be incredible to hear anything from you. Just so we know that you're there. I mean, you can be abusive if you want. Send send us what you want. Death threats, just get them in. Um, te- no, in all seriousness, like tell us how you found us, how you found out about us, what you'd like to hear the show cover, um, whether you think I'm being too harsh on falafel, anything like that. Send us interpretive dance routines, anything. Enough of the falafel at gmail.com is the place to send us your thoughts, your questions, your comments, your concerns. Uh, regarding the show regarding any of the news stories we've covered or anything else you fancy saying to us to be honest rich thanks so much for sharing the conversation with me this week and indeed for holding the space with me i really appreciate it It's my pleasure, Anthony. Thank you for being part of things too. And indeed, thank you every listener who has joined us for some or all of today's episode. Yeah, spot on. Um, I mean, as I said, if there's one thing we'd love right now, it's for us to have lots of listener emails to read out in next week's show. Wouldn't it be brilliant if next week we've got however many uh, bits of correspondence that we we can share? Rich and I are both very nervously wondering whether anyone is actually out there listening. Uh, at this stage we put a lot of work in but we don't know whether anyone cares so if if you want to do your good deed for the week just drop us a line reassure us that we've got at least one listener that's not my mum hi mum thanks for listening Um, but yeah lovely to know there's someone else there Um, and that that email address again it's enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com and you can also get us on the socials we're on Facebook Instagram and TikTok it's at enoughofthefalafel Um, and as we get close to next week's show there'll be sneak previews there we'll be showing you what stories we're going to be covering you can comment on those with your thoughts um, and maybe even we'll read out those comments when we're going through the news next week see how things go Um, right we're at the end Rich, there's one thing left for us to do. We are a news-based show. We report on the previous week's vegan news. But what is your prediction for next week's vegan news? What do you think is going to happen? 
I don't know, is this serious or not? I was going to say Heck brings back a lot of vegan range. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, you've said it now. That you've said it now. I've, I've said it now. Okay, that's my prediction. Come on. Okay, so Richie's going for Heck to bring back its vegan range after dropping it a few months ago. I'm going to say that a celebrity is going to get arrested um, as part of uh, like an animal rights demo somewhere. That's my prediction. Maybe your crystal ball is better than mine. We'll see. Interesting. Well, there's only one way to find out. We'll have to tune in next week to see if you're right. Anyway, that's enough of the falafel from us this week. I've been Richard, he's been Anthony, and this has been episode one of Vegan Week. Vegan Week.